We are in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called. All humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, help us. This can be a very difficult section. I understand that no man is capable, so I'm asking for divine intervention into each, that we may hear, that we may act on it also. Help us. Help us to know who you are in such a way that walking of the calling It's just second nature to us. We love you, Lord. But Father, we are in desperate need of you. In Christ's name, amen. We are looking at what I've called the lowly walk of a high position. Walking worthy, the worthy walk. If you look at it in the book of Acts, we see the term first shows up. Christian, and it was actually a derogatory term, meaning little Christ, okay? So a Christian is a follower of Christ, all right? So when I look at that, I look at the person of Christ. This morning in Sunday school, we began looking at what is called the upper room discourse. It's Jesus' last instructions to his disciple before his crucifixion. And when I look at the Gospel of John, I think I shared this last week, that if you look at the Gospel of John, first, in his humility, John's humility, he never uses his own name. Secondly, if you look at the Gospel of John, every chapter deals emphatically with the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he had a focus but then you got to back up. If you, if you, what I do is I back up and I look at his life. I just finished a book called Jesus from Middle Eastern Eyes. It'll change your perspective in many ways. And the reason is, is that we've kind of Americanized Jesus. Truth of the matter is he was Middle Eastern. He was a Jew and he was a lower level Jew. Uh, he was a carpenter. When I think about Jesus' time here for 33 years, what did he have? You ever think about that? Creator of existence. What did he have? Better yet, tell me one time in the gospel record of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, when did he boast about anything? Now, Paul said he boasted. 
I boast on Christ's gospel. Now, that's amazing because Paul was an educated man. He was, in, he was born and raised in the city of Tarsus and had a university. There was one in Rome, Tarsus, and Alexandria, Egypt. If you lived in those cities, you got free college. So he went to college. But after that, he went to seminary, studied under Gamali. Gamali was one of the writers of the Talmud. Gamali was one of the great brains of the Sanhedrin. So Paul was educated. Paul was traveled. He was smart. He was articulate. And yet he said, the only thing I boast in is what? Christ's gospel. So I want to go first to Jesus as our example of humility. Okay? Jesus was acquainted with grief. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus gave himself. John chapter 6. Jesus was hated without cause. John 16. Jesus was homeless. Matthew 8. Jesus was persecuted. John 15. Jesus was betrayed. Matthew 26. Jesus was condemned. Matthew 20. Jesus was despised. Luke 18. Jesus was lifted on a cross, John 12. Jesus was mocked in Mark 10. He was numbered with criminals in Luke 22. Jesus was killed in Matthew 16. If you think about just those cursory viewpoints, he was humble in every way. Okay? No problem, right? We are to walk as he walked. Even though we are each something in God's eye, the marvel of redemption, of God's redemptive grace, is that we are still to walk humble. Humble. Acts chapter 20, verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, We serve the Lord in humility of mind. We serve the Lord in humility. Listen, each and every one of you need to hear this and understand it. If we do not have a servant's heart, you'll never walk worthy. I was dealing with the washing of feet this morning in our Sunday school class 
And Jesus himself says, I did this as an example to you. You should do this to one another. The servant that washed feet was the lowest servant. Walk worthy. What do you do? What does it mean to walk worthy? I tell you what, let's try it from this perspective. When it says walk worthy, what do you think? What is your thought? If I'm going to walk worthy with Christ, walk worthy for Christ, what do I think? And you know what? I guarantee you that most of the people right now are thinking of external things. But I would ask a question, what is my basic attitude? What am I growing in those attitudes? Listen, walking worthy, a worthy walk, is based on the right attitude. If we are children of the Most High God, and I use that qualifier quite well, If we are truly saved, then if we are truly saved, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. If we are truly saved, we were chosen before the foundations of the world. If we were truly saved, we have been redeemed and we have been forgiven. If we are truly saved, we have been made wise. If we are truly saved, we have been given an eternal inheritance. If we are truly saved, we have been placed into the body of Christ. If we are truly saved, we have been made alive from the dead. If we are truly saved, we have been raised to sit in the heavenlies. If we are truly saved, that we have been designed by God unto good works. If we are truly saved, we are fellow citizens with all of the saints. If we are truly saved, we are the habitation of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we are truly saved, we are partakers of the promises of Christ. That's the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. If we have all of these things, we should live like it. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in verse 1. I beg you, I beg you, we should live like it. To live like it starts with these four characteristics as you see in verses 2 and 3. These are four characteristics of what a worthy walk looks like. Because the worthy walk in these four characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, love, brings to what? Unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 1, as I said, was the call. Paul is begging. And we started looking at these characteristics. 
And I've got to be honest with you, the Lord woke me up at 1 o'clock this morning and told me that I need to focus. I was ready to move into gentleness. I can call it characteristics. And when I call it characteristics, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this well. These are the characteristics of a committed Christian. I'm sorry. There's not that many. I'm talking about a committed Christian. You know what I'm talking about? What's your number one priority? What's your number two priority? Do you want me to go to number three? That's a committed Christian. These characteristics that you see, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, love is not superficial. Okay? Doesn't mean I have a cross hanging off my mirror. Doesn't mean I got a little fish bumper sticker. Doesn't mean I carry a Bible. I used to deal drugs and carry a Bible. Thought it was my rabbit's foot. That ain't a Christian. Maybe your car is saved. A Christian is number one noted for humility. The greatest man born of woman. Who? John the Baptist. What did he say? I must decrease. He must increase. How are you doing with that? I gave you this word last week. It's a compound word in the Greek. It means total humility, total lowliness. You know what that means? In everything. I don't care what it is. In everything. Humility. Every relationship I have, I'm the humble one. Every attitude I have, I'm the humble one. Brothers and sisters, as I go through this and as I wrestle with the book, and I wrestle with my Lord, and I wrestle with the Spirit of the living God, I am so made clear that this is the key to the worthy walk. It seems to be progressive in the way the structure, the syntax of the writing is. Humility leads to, depending on your translation, meekness and or gentleness, same thing. That leads to producing what? Patience. Long-suffering. Anybody here struggle with patience? Not me. I don't even know how to spell it. Patience leads to producing an enduring, forbearing love. That is a tolerance of love. All of those come together and be to what is the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. The term that he uses here in verse 2 is all humility. So what I'm going to do is the next two weeks, I'm going to try to give you practical things for humility. I will tell you 
before I start these next two messages, you will be convicted. But when you're convicted, rejoice. Because God's pointing things out. Right now, I have about six. I think it's going to grow. Six things that will keep you and I from humility. Listen, yeah, I remember the song, It is so hard to be humble when you're great in every way, something like that. Listen, I, you, do you understand that I deal with this now for almost two and a half months? Do you understand that? You guys are just getting what? This is my fourth message. Aren't you lucky? I know before my Lord and my Savior that I am nowhere near humble enough. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think I got any talents at all. I don't think I have any abilities. Had a, I remember a guy said, I heard you on the, what is it, the internet. And he says, man, I said, I wanted to come and hear you. So he came and he listened. He came up and talked to me. He says, you know, you did a really good job, but my pastor's better, so I'm going back to my church. Yo! <laughs> ah, God bless him. He's honest. I don't think I'm any good either. <laughs> and I told him that. I said, you got to remember, man, 24 years ago, or however many years ago it was, they were looking for a pastor, and they said that they're going to keep searching if I would preach until they found a pastor. <laughs> I've never been voted in as the pastor of this church. Can you believe that? <laughs> so evidently, I'm not very good at it, but the thing is, <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. I wish they'd hurry up and find out who's supposed to do this. By the way, all of them people are gone. I don't know what I'm doing now. I do know that I am more humble than I used to be. I also know that I am nowhere near enough. And as we grow, and there's that word again, as you start understanding theology more, you will gain victory over your pride. Not always. But more times than not, you'll be victorious over your pride as your theology grows. I've had more victories than I used to. But let me ask you a question. I've been dealing with this for a couple of months. Let me ask you a question. As brothers and sisters in Christ, how many of us can say that I honestly concentrate on this area of my life? Have you ever really, in your quiet time, you and God in the throne room of heaven, Say, God, teach me true humility. 
Have you ever sat and really looked at the reality of yourself? Everybody wants to look at me, and that's fine. I don't care. But have you ever really sat and looked at the reality of who we are individually? And ask yourself, do I work and operate and have an attitude that function in a way that is all humility? Lord came into this world, and you know what his first message was? Interesting message. You don't hear it a lot anymore. But it's the first one that he ever gave. You know what it was? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come on in. I added that. When he had his little group of guys together, it's kind of funny. He decided it was time. All right, they're following. They want to be in the kingdom of heaven. I've got me a bunch of believers. I've got me a bunch of children of the king. These that the Lord has given me. These that my father has given me. I need to teach them the basics on how to live. I want you to live. I want you to live like kingdom children. Okay? So that's what he did. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountains and he sat down. His disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs shall be com- they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, is greater. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. How many of you have ever heard that when he was asking you to say the sinner's prayer? Bottom line on living like a king's child. Let me ask you a question. The Great Commission is what? Make disciples as you're going. Anybody want to try to teach that? That's kingdom life right there, people. You ever thought about that? Blessed is the the word there, poor. The first one is a beggar in the spirit. Luke says, blessed is the beggar. You ever thought about that? And it doesn't mean, you know, uh, a day laborer. 
It's a person laying by a table hoping a crumb will fall off of it so they can have something. That's how poor it is. You want to teach people that? Let me tell you, I go through that list right there. That's the humble. That's the humble. This is where it all begins. It's... I go back through this. Look at this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are insulted. I don't care what anybody calls it. That's the list of the humble. This is where it all begins. And you know what? When I look at the body of Christ right now, this is all fouled up. Ain't nothing like this in the church today. It's not there. And don't look around. Don't say, well, he's something. What happened to him? He all cranky today. No, man. I don't think so. Christian world is as busy today as the lost world is exalting people. Let us surround ourselves with superstars. Seems like the whole thing is in reverse. These lists that you just I just read here in Matthew 5. These are the people who belong in his kingdom. These are the children of the king. You know how you know? Humble. They mourn. They're poor. They're persecuted. They show mercy. They are gentle. You know what? What you see in Matthew 5, that first 12 verses, is the same thing that we're looking at in Ephesians 4. Who walks worthy of this calling? Who? The humble. The lowly. The humble in all things. The lowly in all things. The meek ones. The ones who suffer long. The ones who endure with love. That's God's people. I don't see God's people listed as those who are great, who are famous. I don't see those who are loud. I don't see those who are chatty. I don't see those who are proud. I don't see those who are prominent. I don't see those who are rich. They ain't none of them. They are the humble. They are the meek. They are the poor. Those. Yet, you look at Christianity, what is successful? In Christianity today, what is successful? Big. I got a TV show. 
I got a radio show. I got books. I got thousands of books. I got thousands of people. I have two services. I do a Saturday service. I do a contemporary service. I do a traditional service. I do all. See what they just did? You've completely removed humility. Let me boast. I am coming up. The, the thing is, I listen to people. We've got to come up with a neat cliche bumper sticker, window sticker that represents our church. And we stick it on our cars and everybody knows what. What? I got a sticker on one of my trucks that says, <laughs> I have common sense. What's your superpower? On my other truck, I've got a Harley sticker. You know what? Neither one of them have to do a thing with salvation. Neither do the churches who believe I've got some kind of insignia. I can put that on there, and therefore I'm saved. It's arrogance. Absolute arrogance. The meek ones, the suffering long, the enduring in love. Yes, Christianity is what is successful. It is big. Now, I want to give a text that I dealt with. Gosh, it's been decades ago. It was when I was the associate pastor. I wrestled with it then. Perhaps I still wrestle with it. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Peter specifically speaking to shepherds. Those who are the caretaker of God's people. Verse 5, chapter 5, 1 Peter. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, I like that. You know what he just did? He just got everybody. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Hmm. Shepherds, be clothed. With humility, God resists the proud, but he does give grace to the humble. You know what he just said? Keep your perspective here, guys. You want to be an elder? You think you're being called to be in leadership? Ask yourself a simple question. How humble are you? Because I got news for you. If you're not... You step into leadership role, you will be humiliated. He's not going to take this back. The word there, clothed, speaks of an outer garment that covers the inner from getting dirty. Remember what the Apostle Paul? I'm a clay pot with a precious treasure inside. Put those two together, what are you saying? Cover that stinking pot in humility and you won't have to worry about abusing the precious treasure that is inside or offending it. 
take all that is true about you and cover it in humility. Did you hear what I just said? Take everything that is true about you and cover it in humility. That's what Peter's telling us. Now listen. That's tough. That's just bone-crushing difficult. And at best, on a good day, it's elusive. But remember what I shared last week? If you're going to walk in this, first thing up is what? Self-awareness. You don't have to run around and say, well, do I look humble? Nope. You know your attitude. So you're self-aware. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. That's humility. I don't have to run around and tell you, oh, I sinned today, man. This lady pulled up behind me when I was trying to plow snow, and I wanted to fill her car up with snow. That's probably not a godly thing to do. But she pulled away quick enough, so I didn't have to be tempted. Okay? Self-awareness. But then there's Christ-awareness. When I look at Jesus Christ, okay, I'll do it on an easy basis. I'll look at him as a man. I went through this last week. I look at Jesus Christ as a man. He always had the right answer. His timing was always perfect. He always had the right ability to deal with whatever situation he was dealing with. And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, I'm close to that. I woke up. See what I mean? Jesus covered it all. There was, in his humanity, he never made a mistake. In my humanity, I am a mistake. And then there's God. I look at God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. To think of anything of ourselves, understanding our sufficiency, is of God. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians, is gaze upon the glory of the Lord. Listen, when I gaze upon the glory of the Lord, I truly see who I am. You understand that? If you truly gaze on the glory of the Lord, you will see who you are. Love you. It ain't pretty. John Calvin used to call it worm theology. I am but a earthworm. If I look upon the Lord... I can go to Isaiah 40 and realize that the water fits in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand is creation. I got a lot to brag about. Listen, you do those three things, self-evaluation honestly. Look at Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Look at his Father in the Word of God and it will drive you to humility. Listen, you can sit around and wish all day long that you would be humble. It will never happen. 
But if I look at God, I look at Jesus Christ, and I look at me compared to those two, I got no options. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this goes back to what I was speaking about, that you can either be humble or been driven to humility, one or the other. In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, I've had so many visions. I went up to the third heaven. I've had so many revelations. I mean, it's amazing. God gave me a thorn in my flesh to keep me humble. Something that constantly bugs me. You know what? I think that's my ministry. I think I'm a thorn. (laughs) I just constantly bug people. But perhaps you should just be humble. See, when we see ourselves for who we really are, then we understand that the persons and the problems, I know most of you pretty closely, all right? And I know that you have people and problems and situations that you cannot solve, you cannot overcome. And perhaps they are there to keep you knowing who you really are. I don't have a lot of employees that I work with. I don't have any employees that I work with. So I don't have employee problems. But I have an excruciatingly demanding boss. And I've complained about it. Mr. Perfect, come on. What's the deal here? You don't want to save me. It's not my fault. You know, you have to give an account for this flock. Wait a minute, you told me that they're yours. Why do I have to give an account for your flock? I haven't won that one either. Okay? That is the battle. That is the battle. And I want to go through a list. I'm only going to do two today. Ooh, I better make them two fast ones. Where do we fight to really be humble? Okay? Uh, Let me put it to you this way. Where are we tempted to be proud? Okay? Now, if you say you're not tempted to be proud, talk to me after the service. Okay? Where are you tempted to be proud? First, These are not necessarily in order. I'm only going to give you two today. I think I got six. I'm working on a seventh. But anyway, where am I tempted to be proud? If I'm supposed to walk humble, if I'm supposed to be clothed in humility to all men, where am I tempted to be proud? First, our abilities our abilities. What we do be tempted at our strengths. I'm good at this. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm good at, but 
I've got to be good at something or I wouldn't still be standing here. Okay? Well, maybe I would be. I don't know. Okay? But our strong suit is where we are tempted to be proud. Proud. I mean, let me ask you a question. How many of us have stood up and boasted of our weakness? You guys just don't know how musically excellent I truly am. Why are you laughing? (laughs) People laughing at me. They ain't nobody plays a radio better than me. But nobody sits there and says, boy, I tell you what, you play that guitar, it sounds like somebody choking a cat. But God bless you. You're trying. Nobody boasts about their weaknesses. We want to boast about our abilities. The Apostle Paul I've shared this with you before. He was an amazing man, very educated, uh, great personality, a wonderful orator. Well, they had to put him in jail to get him to write, but he wrote a lot. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I was determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of the power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was educated. Paul was traveled. Paul was an amazing man in and of himself. Brilliant. A phenomenal speaker. But he was a man who avoided the temptation to have his strength turned to sin. Anybody ever tried that? His personality, his communication skills, his knowledge, he rejoiced. In 1 Corinthians 12, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I've told you guys a long time ago, I don't like talking in front of people. I was scarred when I was a young man. I took a debating class uh, when I was in college for about half an hour, 45 minutes. And I took a debating class. And every time I took this stupid class, I had to go up against a woman. And she just blew me away. And I was like, why in the world would I want to get in front of talk of people? I mean, we could talk about things that I knew something about, which is really amazing if you think about it. And it made me look like a fool. So why in the world would I want to speak in front of people? We are tempted when we have some kind of strength of our own. We will abuse that 
that ability, and we do it because we will want to flaunt that ability. Look what I did. Look what I can do. Look what I'm capable of. When we do something well, we want to parade it. Look at these abilities that I've got. That sounds like Steve Martin. (laughs) I'm not sure that's a good thing. I'm glad somebody knows who Steve Martin is. Listen, do you understand the abilities that you have? God-given? Okay, so that's the first one, my abilities. Two, and I'll close with this one, is what I call economic pride. Now, I've traveled in Russia and Georgia and Azerbaijan. They don't have this problem. Okay? Okay. It's a non-existent problem. But I have also traveled in Europe and in England, and the problem is still there. Okay, But then I think about it. The gospel went into Europe through the belly of Greece, up, up through the belly of Europe through Greece. And that's where the gospel first went. And that was where we first were very prolific in our monies, in our abilities, in our talents, and everything else. And then what happened with Jesus? I think he left the building. Okay? I, I preached to two churches in England, one on the north side of London and one down by the cliffs of Dover. And I asked him, well, who, how, who's being reached and how are they being reached? And it's only generational. Why? Because everybody has everything they need. What's going on in the United States? Ask yourself a simple question right now. The people that you know who take the name of Jesus Christ, how many would you say are committed to Jesus Christ? So if I take the Western countries in the United States specifically, then I understand completely how this thing works. Why? I'm comfortable. I've had people come to me and tell me, this is what I want to do for Jesus. And I said, have you ever asked him if that's what he wanted you to do? Because what I have learned the hard way is the things that I think I'm capable of, I never get. He says, I want you to do these things that make you so stinking uncomfortable. Then you know that I did it. We like to display our riches. Paul told Timothy about it. Women like to braid gold into their hair. It used to be a tradition during the first first century that women dressed conservatively. You had these big gowns on so nobody could really see anything. But everybody, all the women had these very long hair uh, down to mid-back was the normal custom. And they'd take everything that they owned and they'd weave it into their hair. And so you could look at them and say, well, look, they've got a turtle shell thing there, and they've got a gold thing stuck right there. Look, and a little ivory pin stuck in that. And they must be rich. But they would wear their wealth stuck and woven into their hair. And Paul tells them, don't do that. Don't do that. We just, they would parade and boast of their riches. How? Look. 
They trust in their riches. Look what I have. Listen, people go buy a car so people will look at it and say, well, what's he driving? You know, I seen a, a, friend, a guy says, look, I bought me a Tesla. I said, I got a Ryobi. I didn't spend as much for my Ryobi as you did for your Tesla. And I dropped mine off a ladder and it didn't break. Can you do that with your Tesla? You know, we we get it to the point that, you know, look at what I drive. Therefore, I must be somebody. I'm going to close with this one text. Deuteronomy, the second law. Moses gave this to the nation of Israel as is preparing to enter the promised land. This is how you're to conduct yourself in this land that God will give you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 11. Beware. Listen, if I ever see that word in the Bible, I always circle it. Okay? If I've got a red pen, I circle it in red. Because this isn't sort of, well, you know, don't make a left turn at the light. That's not what he's saying. Okay? Verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes that I am commanding you today. Okay, that makes sense, huh? You read his Bible, you say amen, and you go on. You read his Bible, go on, and no problem. That makes sense. Look at what he says in 12. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. That was written a long time ago. I'm going to ask you a question. Has anything changed? And I remember the people, the brothers and sisters that I met in Russia and in Georgia and in Azerbaijan. They're poor in spirit. And yet they rejoice. They are dependent moment by moment for their very existence. Drop on down to verse 17. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. I remember a pastor coming up to me and said, yeah, I want to tell you a great praise that I have with the Lord. He said, we've been praying. We paid 30 days. He said, we had people praying day and night. 30 days. And God answered our prayers. I said, really? What was you praying for? $30 million loan. Hallelujah. How can a shepherd in a good conscience said, I just put the flock in debt by $30 million. Verse 18. 
but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, and he made firm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as is this day. See, it's very easy to say and look at what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. That's boastful. One of the things that I have learned from people that I have watched over my life, or during my life, is that those people become excruciatingly wasteful. Please, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, Remember, everything that you have is a gift from God. It ain't your abilities, your talents God gave you. It ain't your economics, whatever you own, God gave you. And you should be even more humble just thinking about it. Let us pray. Father, what an awesome God we serve. Father, I pray, I beseech your throne. You to help us. Humble our hearts. Humble our hearts. But then, Father, (laughs) keep us humble. Let us walk in absolute humility in all things, in our attitude, our actions. Father, I beg you. We need your help. This is not our nature. It's part of the curse. And yet, Father, for us to walk worthy, we must be humble. Help us. In Christ's name, amen.